Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. I'm Casey. I'm Karen. <laughs> we are two history podcasts here to deliver some eerie and historical spy nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is here. Spies Part Two. Here we go. We're doing it. Yeah, let's do ah! this. I'm so excited. <laughs> Tell everybody who you are. What's your podcast? So my name is Casey. And I'm Karen. And we are from Encyclopedia Obscura. Yes. And we are a podcast where two best friends from childhood talk about the weird, mysterious, and obscure items from the encyclopedia. So follow us if you want to hear about history or just weird stuff in general. We usually try to prank each other almost every episode. Yes. If you like to hear two people definitely trying to antagonize each other, then you can <laughs> our podcast. We've been friends for 25 years. Wow. 25 yes. at this point. So we've had a long time <laughs> together and we are super excited to be on Historical AF. And we are super excited if you guys would like to listen to our podcast. So thank you for having us on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, oh, thank you. So how did you guys meet? <laughs> So what happened was our birthdays are a day apart. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to town, we would have our birthday parties on the same day. And everybody would come to my party and not hers. Okay, not everybody. People oh, no. almost, almost everybody. Don't be disrespectful. I had friends too. <laughs> hey now, hey now. We are friends because... In fifth grade, I decided to invite Casey to my party so she would know when my party was. So, so I could have my own party and not have it interrupt day. with hers. Oh, yes. she was selfish. I was not being selfish. <laughs> I was being nice. Oh, and then we became friends. Horrible. We're basically siblings. You guys are just a couple of years younger than me. Okay, 30s. Mm -hmm. Did you guys do this too? I think our generation was the kind that would have to go to the library and they'd force you to grab an encyclopedia and learn something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Which is why we're reliving our trauma through this podcast. <laughs> no, I loved that part. That was my favorite part of elementary school. Mine too. I found mm -hmm. so many weird things and it's foreshadowing to who I've become now as an yeah. adult. But Absolutely. It was so fun. I think people miss out because everybody has the Googles now. Nobody knows the joy of yeah. that. That's actually how we pick our topics. We both have huge encyclopedias and we yeah. like pull them out and we're like, so um, what should we pick? Oh, martyrs. This is great. Let's talk about people dying. By the <laughs> way, that was a dark episode. If you listen to it. it was a dark episode. We tried episode. to make it light and it was not light. So no. if you don't let martyrs be our first episode. If you want to listen to our <laughs> podcast, if you're in any way interested, please listen to Cowboys because that's where you'll fall in love with us as we will fall in love with you. Oh, yay. And all the links will be in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. Oh, we are so excited to be on the show. Yay, I'm so excited that you're here. So what got you really into history? What made you decide one day, I want a history podcast? So we have a long history of doing things like, oh, here's your boyfriend, or like, this is the weirdest thing I found. And so we kind of have this one-upmanship. I have found like the weirdest thing. You're never going to find something weirder than this. And so we decided it should be a podcast because everybody likes weird things. Yes. So I wanted to start a podcast and I thought I could do it by myself. It's it's a lot by yourself. And I applaud you because I know you're doing it by yourself. And we went hiking the first time we had seen each other during the pandemic. And we were like, you know, we're in masks and socially distancing. And I was like, I think you should be in a podcast with me. And she was like, <laughs> I don't know. And I'm like, no, you should do it. 
I was like, I'm married, I have a kid, and I'm going back to college. And I was like, yeah, but I'll do the majority of stuff. All you have to do is talk. And we recorded the first episode, which was a hot mess. It was like (laughs) so, it was, it took me like three hours to edit it. It was such a hot mess. And afterwards, I put it on the website and it was kind of like, you know, are we going to do this or not kind of situation. And we listened to it and we were both like, I think we like podcasting and so from there we just move forward and i don't know if we're popular i mean (laughs) i don't know if people like us i don't know if people like us i don't know you know we probably have like five listeners and they're all related to us but people seem to to listen to it we just try to do a lot of history but we also like i said earlier like to prank each other and kind of have fun with it and so yeah here we are. And then, you know, I reached out to this like completely badass podcast on Instagram. And for some reason, they were like, I guess you can be on our podcast, which was like, so confusing to me. I was like, how and why? No, I was <laughs> And thrilled. so here we are. I was thrilled. That's very exciting. I love it when people reach out. And I think yesterday somebody tagged me it was like you should listen to this podcast she's so cool and i want to be your best friend i was like oh hey new bestie they were like oh my god and i was like <laughs> i never imagined anybody but my mom would ever listen to this so. oh, in there oh, yeah this video is yes. it going to go on your patreon yeah it is okay well later. i need to close my camera for one second i'll be right back Okay. What is? She, I don't even know what she's doing. Top secret. I'm, I'm chugging wine and I'm not doing it on camera. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, Casey. Chug, what? Chug, 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 chug. This is boozy banter with fans. Are we not on the same podcast? <laughs> Wait, am I supposed to be drinking? Only if you want to. No, I should not drink before no, my segment she, because she I. Not. I'm a lightweight. In fact, if you want her to drink, she should go first because it's going to be bad. <laughs> Two it's glasses true. of wine in our most recent episode, I had to delete like 30 minutes of it. This is why nobody gets to know about the chameleon penises. <laughs> Which we were never talking about again because I had to delete the entire segment because of you. I hope you're out. Oh, God. You the more you talk about drink. it, the more I need to know. <laughs> I mean... It's, I really loved that segment. <laughs> I had to delete the whole thing because I started editing and I was like, I can't even handle it. <laughs> so for the listeners and the, the viewers, if you want to know about the chameleon penises, you just really have to Google tiny chameleons, giant genitalia. It'll come up. <laughs> yes. Hey, you guys got to chug for me. I can't drink right now. So I've been All right, well, let me turn on my camera again. All right, I will get a glass of wine, and then if I can go first, then I will start drinking. (laughs) You can go first. (laughs) All right, so I have Nancy Wake for us. Oh. Have you heard of Nancy Wake? No. No. Okay. I'm excited. In the heat of the Gestapo's tyranny in France, she was known by the fascists as the White Mouse, the number one most wanted fugitive. Stop. The White Mouse. The White Mouse. (laughs) Because she was so hard to catch. Oh. Oh, like an elusive hamster. I get it. I get it. The elusive hamster. The elusive hamster. That's my spy name. She's not allowed to claim that. I don't know what I would be like the the caught badger because like I would say I'm like the wild find. mongoose 
the aggressive <laughs> mongoose. I, think. <laughs> I am not aggressive. Uh, yeah, you, you can be cornered though. Oh, I'd be like the cackling. What animal cackles? Hyena. I would be, yes. you would be the uh, hissing pigeon, I think. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love Is that it. too much? I'm sorry. No, no, I love it. I would not be a good spy. Like give myself away laughing. Imagine too hard. just perching hissing. <laughs> I don't know. I envision a possum like freeze <laughs> and fall off the branch. Possums are actually pretty awesome though, because yeah, they, they cannot get rabies. And they eat ticks. So Ooh, they're very helpful. Oh, okay. I yes. do like raccoons too. They look like little zombies when their little hands are coming out. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, they're board. so cute. For sure. And trash they're like pandas. trashy. My husband calls me the trash lady from the labyrinth. So I feel like I probably <laughs> am a raccoon. I too am a trash lady. So you're in good company. <laughs> and sometimes, like, my car, if it's messy, he'll be like, oh, what's in? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a jerk, but I love him. <laughs> and I never remove my eyeshadow, so I always have black eyes in the morning. Mm. I'm totally so back to Nancy. <laughs> Sorry, Nancy. <laughs> my bad, Nancy. We were just on a tangent. So her capture was worth five million francs. Ooh. And considering that visas to America in the movie Casablanca were worth twenty thousand francs. This was pretty significant, especially to starving people in wartime France. She is actually from New Zealand. She was born in Wellington, New Zealand on August 30th, 1912, which makes her a Virgo, like Casey and I. Mm-hmm. Virgos united. Her great-grandmother was Maori, which is the indigenous people of New Zealand. Oh, cool. And she grew up in Sydney, Australia, and attended... North Sydney Household Arts School, so basically a home ec school. She described herself as someone who loved nothing more than a good drink and handsome Frenchman. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. She's well. all. She's very sassy. I love her. She moved to Paris in her early 20s, where she worked as a European correspondent for Hearst Newspapers. During this time, she saw the rise of Hitler and the Nazi movement. She reported that while in Vienna, Austria, Nazi gangs would randomly beat up Jewish men and women in the streets. Oh, <sighs> good God. It gets better. I promise. Okay. Does it? Because it sounds really sad. <laughs> well, so this is about World War II. So yeah. a lot of it's sad. In 1937, she met her husband, Henri Edmond Fiacosha. Sure. Yeah. He was a wealthy French industrialist. They married on November 30th, 1939, and they lived lavishly in Marseille, France. Oh, that's pretty. Nancy spent her mornings breakfasting in a luxurious bath while eating caviar toast and drinking champagne. All right. She's living. Okay. First of all, you don't need to rub this in my face. Disrespectful. Yeah. And this is where she was when the Nazis invaded France. Not specifically in the bathtub, but in Marseille. I was totally envisioning the bathtub. I am too, actually. (laughs) Nancy was not the kind of person who was going to sit back in her bath and let war happen around her. Good girl. She once told a reporter, I don't see why we women should just wave our men a proud goodbye and then knit them balaclavas. Oh, what is a balaclavas? Balaclava, it's like a sweatery thing. For what? For your body. Yeah, but it sounded like go off and you die, and then they knit that. 
No, no she means like she's sitting at home just knitting them clothes for when they come back. Oh, okay. Sure. So she decided she would drive ambulances for the resistance. Oh, cool. However, she did not have an ambulance and there weren't that many around. So she had her husband use some of that caviar money to buy her one. And he did buy her one. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. So she just decides that she wants to drive this, but before she even has one. So it wasn't even like an option to be like, oh, there's a thing I could do. She just decides I'm doing this thing, then makes it happen. That's that's amazing. And her husband uh, just yeah bought her one, even though he thought she was a terrible driver. <laughs> Good he was, God. He was like, Absolutely. well, I guess. I guess you could have this ambulance. <laughs> After the fall of France, Nancy joined the Pat O'Leary line, an escape network ran by Captain Ian Garrow of the British Army. This is where she picked up the name The White Mouse because she was so good at dodging the Gestapo. She was in constant danger, but the Gestapo failed to capture her, even though they had tapped her phones and intercepted her mail. Oh, wow. Try, try again, my friend. (laughs) Things became even more dangerous for Nancy in November of 1942, when Nazis took over Vichy, France, giving the Gestapo uh, unrestricted (laughs) access to all of occupied France. Quickly, the network was betrayed, so Nancy fled France. Her beloved husband, Henri, stayed behind. He was captured, tortured, and executed. No! And she reported that she escaped by flirting. Okay, lot to unpack there. So here's a quote from her. A little powder and a little drink on the way, and I'd pass the German posts. And wink and say, do you want to search me? God, I was a flirtatious little bastard I was. <laughs> so <laughs> her incredibleness goes on. In 1943, while helping a literal trainload of people escape France, she was arrested in Toulouse, France. Somehow, Pat O'Leary, a.k.a. Albert Giracy, who was head of the escape network, convinced her captures that she was his mistress and they were trying to keep her infidelity a secret from her husband. Nancy did not know at that time that her husband had already died. Oh no. Good God. She, uh, she didn't find out about that until after the war. And she did blame herself for his demise because he was tortured while they were trying to find her. Oh, Oh, that's heartbreaking. Karen, can you like lighten this up? (laughs) I think that's the lowest point, actually. I think okay. that is, yeah. Gracious. It's good to know we're at rock bottom. We're, yes. we're coming to this podcast to bring them happiness. Not <laughs> all right. Let me let me brace myself. Here we go. No, no, it gets better from here. Okay. When she finally got to Britain, she joined the SOE or the Special Operations Executive. And actually, I was expecting Casey to go before me. So her person does this too. There she gained the approval of Vera Atkins, who was another female spy of World War II. She was known as the most powerful woman in the history of espionage and infiltrated the German government by being pretty and serving as a translator for a German steel mogul. Hmm, Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love me a good woman spy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, get ready because there's going to be another good woman spy. (laughs) Atkins described Wake as a real Australian bombshell. 
tremendous vitality, flashing eyes. Everything she did, she did well. Her training record shows that she was a good and fast shot, performed well at field craft, and put men to shame by her cheerful spirit and strength of character. All right, then. Yeah, I like her. I know you like her. If you listen to our podcast, you'll understand why Karen likes her. So, like a champ, she parachuted into Auvergne, France. Specifically, she parachuted into a tree, and that's where the resistance leader, another Henri, Henri Trividat, or Tardivat, I don't know how you, it's French. How do you spell it? T-A-R-D-I-V-A-T. Tardivat? French is hard. It is. Okay. When Mr. Henri found her in the tree, he commented, Henri on the tree. (laughs) All right. The French dude. (laughs) The French dude. So Nance is hanging from a tree and Henri comes up and he says, I hope that all the trees in France bear such beautiful fruit this year. Oh my God. And she goes, don't give me that French shit. <laughs> oh, I took a drink at the wrong time. <laughs> oh, God. This woman is not putting up with anything. Oh, no. She's like, absolutely not, sir. Move on. No, nope. I love her. Right? She's so badass. She has the best lines. There are more lines. This, this parachuting was part of the freelance team. And they were to serve as a liaison between the French resistance and London. They provided the resistance with resources and arms, as well as carried out strategic destruction of communication lines. The idea was that this work would slow down the German response to an ally invasion of France. Prematurely, however, the French resistance in Montmoche mobilized resulting in swift German retaliation. The resistance suffered great casualties and were forced to flee. The closest SOE radio and operator were in Chateauroux, which was about 250 kilometers or 155 miles for Casey. (laughs) Okay, first of all, (laughs) first of all, the reason why she's doing that is I purposely seeked out converting distances when I was telling my part of previous podcasts. And now it's become a whole thing because I'm trying to allow other non-Americans, because not everyone in the world goes by our distances. So No, you do it the other way. When it's kilometers, you're like, what's that in miles? I don't know what a kilometer is. <laughs> okay, well, that too. I go, I go, I go both ways. Okay. I relate. I also do not understand kilometers. (laughs) Good God. You know what, Karen? No one told you to call me out this much in your segment. (laughs) I think that's the only time I call you out, actually. You are disrespectful. (laughs) So Nancy, a spirited 25-year-old at this point, rode the 155 miles there and back in 72 hours on a bicycle. Oh, oh, wow. So for reference, I looked up how far the professionals travel during the Tour de France. Okay. They do about 100 miles a day. So she basically rode a competition rate. Wow. Okay. Yes. Oh, that sounds exhausting. I guess that's what, you know, being in your 20s is like. I can't even remember. I can't remember either. Neither can I. (laughs) 
Later on, Nancy helped destroy the Gestapo headquarters in, and I can't say this word, Montluçon. 38 Germans were killed in this raid, and Nancy freed two young women being held and sexually assaulted by the Nazis. Oh my god. I hope she burns them alive. Fuck them up. Fuck them up. There is, she does, give me a second, we'll get to it. Okay, good. (laughs) I hope it's violent and aggressive towards them. Well, a third woman posing as one of the abused women was executed after Nancy interrogated her and found her to be a German spy. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nancy also claimed in an interview in the 1990s that she killed a Nazi with her bare hands. Oh, hell yeah. When he tried to sound the alarm. And here is the quote. They'd taught this judo chop stuff with the flat of the hand at the SOE, and I practiced away at it. But this was the only time I used it. Whack. And it killed him all right. I was really surprised. Yeah, he so- had it coming. He only had himself, <laughs> himself to blame. Really shouldn't take on the ants. That's for sure. I love how casually she's like, judo chop. And he's dead. And you did. <laughs> and he said, I was really surprised. <laughs> Hashtag judo chop Nazis. Yes. <laughs> judo, judo chop the shit out of Nazis. Anyway, mm-hmm. continue. <laughs> Sorry. She was well known for her ferocious fighting skills. One resistance fighter said she was the most feminine woman I know until the fighting starts. And then she is like five men. Wow. Oh, God. So in August of 1944, the Americans invaded southern France. And then by September, Nance and her team returned to Britain. After and then the war ends, as we all know. What was this? Yeah, it was a big. It was a big one. It was like a world one. You know? Oh, I, oh okay. I think I've heard about that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, I vaguely remember that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Can, so continue. I'm so confused. <laughs> after the war, she was showered in awards, including the American Medal of Freedom. The George Medal, which is Britain's second highest civilian honor, and France's highest military honor, the Légion d'Honneur. I tried. She she continued to work in intelligence for the British Air Ministry. Then she spent some time in Australia and ran for office in 1949 and 1951. She did not win either election, and she lost both times to a man who never fought in a war, so fuck the patriarchy. Nance moved back to England right after the election and returned to her intelligence work. Then she resigned and got married in 1957 to another guy. I didn't write down his name. He's not that important. The couple (laughs) moved to... (laughs) The couple moved back to Australia in the 1960s and then returned to Port Macquarie, a coastal, am I saying that right, Australia friends? <laughs> that same year, she published her autobiography titled The White Mouse. And then her second husband passed away in 1997, but she kept on going. She eventually sold her medals to help fund her living. Oh, as wow. she, Yeah, she just kept on living. She joked that there was no point in keeping them. I'll probably go to hell and they'd melt anyway. Good God. Oh, my God. This woman is me. <laughs> yes. Oh, that is such a mic Great. drop thing to say. I know. She's yep. just like, you know what? Fuck it. Yep. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> then she returned to London in 2001, leaving Australia for good. She took up residence at the Stafford Hotel in St. James Place, 
which had been a hangout for the GIs during the war. She spent her days telling war stories in the hotel bar over gin and tonics, and she celebrated her 90th birthday there. Oh, my God. Okay, you said that was 2000 what? 2007? 2001. 2001. Okay. Well I wasn't. I wasn't of drinking age yet. I don't know. No, I was not. <laughs> but no, I would uh, die if I was in a bar and this lady was like, I want judo chopped a Nazi. And right? <laughs> I, oh, to be the amazing the bar. She would be so cool to hang out with. She did pass though in, I think it was 2009 at the age of 98. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a long life though. Oh I mean, yeah. You can't expect more than 98. In fact, yep. uh, on average, I don't think you can expect more than like 85. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And her last wish was to have her ashes scattered over the mountains in which she had fought for freedom. Oh, that's lovely. Damn. And that is Nancy. Oh, okay. Nancy Girl is incredible. Club. And I can't believe I haven't heard of her before. I know. She's so amazing. I was so excited to read about her. How is she not like a a symbol for feminism? <laughs> for- I don't know. Honestly. Oh. It's baffling. Witty comebacks. Oh, I love people with some good wit. Yeah, I can just see Lauren Bacall playing her in a movie and yeah. just sassing it up. How does she mm. not have a movie? I think there must, there has to be there a movie. To be. I'm going to go to Maybe the one soon, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to <laughs> Dear <laughs> Movies. Make Dear this Movies. One. Dear this Movies, do better. Yep. So yeah. in honor of her, I'm drinking a Malbec. Oh, nice. So I wanted to piggyback Karen's. Virginia Hall is one of the most important American spies most people have never heard of. Oh, I love it already. Born April 6, 1906 in Baltimore, a location both Karen and I are very familiar with because we're both from Maryland. Yep. She was raised in Maryland and eventually attended Bernard College, now known as Columbia University. Ooh, that's impressive. Yeah. Yes, especially for a woman. Mm -hmm. A woman of that time. It was there where she studied French, Italian, and German. She also attended George Washington University, where she studied French and economics. So this woman went from Columbia University to George Washington University. And I don't know how many people are familiar with those universities on the East Coast, but they are both badass. They're really hard to get into. They're so big. (laughs) Also, French and economics were the two classes I did the worst at in college. (laughs) I never took either, so you're better than I am. I haven't taken economics, but I've been trying to learn French for uh, like five years. And if my segment says anything about my pronunciation. (laughs) You did fine. (laughs) I made little notes for myself on how to pronounce French words. (laughs) All right, so not too long after that, she wanted to continue her education in Europe and continued her studies in France, Germany, and Austria, eventually getting an appointment as a consular service clerk at the American Embassy in Warsaw, Poland. Warsaw. Okay, first of all, don't attack me like this. (laughs) But you're butchering the land of my people. Okay, I'm sorry. In Warsaw, Poland, in 1931. And as we know, life in 1931 was less than a decade before World War II started, and oh boy, was her life about to change. Shortly after that, she transferred to Turkey, and in 1933, she reportedly tripped and accidentally shot herself in the foot while hunting birds. Oh no. Yeah. That that would happen to you. No, it would not. (laughs) 
All right, potentially, maybe. You are the klutzy one. (laughs) I am the klutzy one. I have a lot of mysterious bruises on me. (laughs) This led to her having her leg amputated below the knee and having her lower leg replaced with a wooden prosthetic. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine what amputations must have been like in that period of history. She then named her prosthetic Cuthbert. No idea, but I'm here for it. If I mention Cuthbert in the future, it's her prosthetic. Okay, anybody that's immediate reaction is to name the new leg is already my best friend. I I love Mm -hmm. you. Right? Incredible. Mm -hmm. She's so cool. You just have to have some humor sometimes in really shitty situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from there, she did a bit of traveling around, but eventually found herself applying to be a diplomat for the U.S. Foreign Service. But in 1937, was turned down due to her disability. So Mm. discrimination. Don't like that. She then even appealed to President Roosevelt, who had a disability himself, but it was disregarded. And because of that, in 1939, she resigned in disgust. She was said to have said she considered desk jobs a dead end life, which like. Agreed. Mm, Also, every time I've resigned, it's been a disgust. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yes. I am disgusted. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Sprinkle of rage. (laughs) yeah not happy about it goodbye so then world war ii hit on september 1st 1939 our gal virginia not one to stand aside became an ambulance driver in france and not just an ambulance driver but an ambulance driver on the front lines that's Mm -hmm. also crazy that both of your people drove an ambulance what are there's there's another famous woman who drove ambulances during world war ii and that is Arthur Dorothy oh, Spornak yeah. from Golden Girls. My she is my hero. I love the Arthur so much. Is a badass. Those photos. Yes. She's so cool. Gunfire from planes could not stop Virginia and Cuthbert. In June of 1940, France fell and Virginia went to Spain where she met George Bellows, who was part of British Special Intelligence. And from there, she began her life of espionage. The newly created Special Operations Executive, SOE, in England hired her in 1941. She was sent back to France under the disguise that she was a New York Post reporter, where she used that title to interview people and gather intelligence. New York Post reporter? She then developed a network, which was referred to as Heckler, and the occupations in this network range from doctors to brothel owners. Oh. I can speak. She had amazing intuition. In 1941, she declined to attend a meeting, and then it was raided and ended up in the arrest of several of her fellow spies. Oh, wow. Oh. Another thing she was doing was helping downed airmen escape Nazi territory. So if you were downed in Nazi territory, you could mm-hmm. go to the American consulate and say you were a friend of Oliver. And Oliver was Virginia. And she oh. would get you out of that area with the aid of several of her friends, including some of the people who were part of the brothel. Also, if you're like me and you're wondering why there was an American consulate there, then you, like me, should learn more about World War II and know that Lyon in France was a huge part of the resistance. You could go there to escape Nazis. Wow. France is big as far as Europe goes. So that's a lot of traveling people had to do to get to safety. I also think that France is a lot tougher than people give credit during World War II. I just want to call that out. Yeah. yeah. France gets a lot of bad, you know, rap when it comes to World War II. 
but they didn't yeah. they didn't roll over they oh they absolutely not it wasn't like the french people it was the french government that mm-hmm. made the decision to surrender yeah. Exactly. And so the French people were still resisting in what ways they could Mm -hmm. without necessarily losing their lives. So getting back to (laughs) it, sorry (laughs) to get so dark. It was around this time that Virginia was deemed the limping lady by the Germans and put on their most wanted list because why not? Also, in 19 nicknames. I like certain nicknames. Also in 1941, she learned that there was a group of spies arrested in France. She found a way to smuggle in tools to the prisoners that allowed them to escape. And that spurred an intense manhunt. And she got the prisoners to safety in Britain. So like total badass. But because of this escape, she became even more of a focus for the Germans. Now this is, kind of starts to get a little bit cray cray banana pants. But that's that's a line we use in our podcast. <laughs> And because of all the pressure from the German, she deemed her contacts to be not reliable anymore. And it was clear that she had to leave to save her life. Oh, wow. So in the drama, the drama, I'm telling you, it's a whole thing. In mm-hmm. November of 1942, she fed, she fled <laughs> Leon. She fed Leon. I knew you were going to laugh. In November of 1942, she fled Leon without telling anyone, walking over a 7,500-foot pass in the Pyrenees to Spain, which is about 50 miles in over two days. Oh, my God. No. That's that's, that's like too much. Wants. That is too much. With a pig Finally, leg. With, w- without a full functioning leg. Yes. This yeah. is accurate. It couldn't be comfortable to have a wood no. prosthetic either. That had to have been so painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally returning to London, the British would not send her back to be a spy as she was too well-known and officially compromised. Oh. But because she refused to be held back, she took a course in wireless, and that allowed her right. to go back to France. And she was then hired by the Special Operations Branch, which is an American force. Oh, okay. So she went from American to British, back to American. She was then given forged documents to say she was French and proceeded to help arm and train resistance groups. Her disguises at this time were amazing, and she disguised herself as a milkmaid (laughs) and as an elderly woman. Oh, I love it. She ran the gauntlet. She was like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be everything. Oh, my gosh. And she was so pretty. Oh, yeah. She was super, super pretty. I really want to see a picture of Cuthbert, though. I don't see the leg. Damn. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> so, funny anecdote. I work with a gentleman who has a pros- prosthetic leg. And one of his favorite jokes is he'll say, I can put my foot behind my head. <laughs> and so then he takes off his leg and puts his foot behind no, his No, no. Yes. We're not doing this. <laughs> oh, I love him. I feel like anybody I know that has prosthetic or is missing a limb, they find a lot of humor in it. Because, I mean, I guess you just have to. One of my friends lost her arm. And she went to get her COVID shot. And the guy walked in and was like, which arm? She's like, well, I only got the one. And he was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's going to tell that story the rest of his life. And she's like, yep. Yep. He is. Oh, gosh. She continued to do everything in her power to sabotage the Germans. After the collapse of the Nazis, she returned to France in 1945 and proceeded to help get commendations for those who helped her during her time of spying. So, you know, she paid it back, not paid it forward. That's really cool, too, to remember everybody that helped and make sure they get recognition. That's 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sadly. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I'm a monster. <laughs> who helped her while she was a spy did not survive the war. Yeah. In 1947, she was the first woman hired by the CIA. And in 1951, she worked to prevent the spread of communism. And then Mm. in 1957, she married her OSS Lieutenant Paul Gwilate. Gwilate. Paul Gwilate. Go lightly. Go lightly. (laughs) She retired in 1966 at the mandatory age of 60 after a few rough years at a desk job, something we knew she hated. Yeah. she was apparently too used to being in the field and didn't adjust well to being at the desk. Well, I can't mm-hmm. imagine she would be like, do you know who the fuck I am? Mm-hmm. Why right. am I at a desk? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I killed so- Nazis. Mm-hmm. This desk is hindering me. <laughs> <laughs> Hall died on July 8th, 1982 Aww. at the age of 76 in Rockville, Maryland, and was buried in Pikesville. And for those who are Marylanders, you understand where that is, but just understand they're not exactly next to each other, but they're all in Maryland. So mm-hmm. there you go. And Maryland is very small, so it's kind of like they're in Mexico. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> it's like an hour drive. Uh, you can drive from one side of Maryland to the other in like two and a half hours. Yeah. But it's our state and we love it. Anyway. Thank you. Because of Hall's disinterest in talking about her time as a spy, she could have potentially fallen into obscurity. But after her death, there was renewed interest around her life. From there, her true story came to the surface and the credit she deserved was given. To end my portion, I'd like to quote Wikipedia. Quote, in 2016, a CIA field agent training facility was named the Virginia Hall Expeditionary. My God, I'm drunk. (laughs) I love it. All right. The Virginia Hall Expeditionary Center. The CIA Museum gives five operatives individual sections in its catalog. One is Virginia Hall. The other four are men who went on to head the CIO. She was inducted into the Maryland's Woman Hall of Fame in 2018. End quote. And that is Virginia Hall. Oh, I love her. I love- She's so awesome. I mean, I've known about her, but I've never like extensively looked into, you know, her role in World War II. And she is incredible. Yes. She just refused to be sidelined because it'd be like, you don't have a leg. Sit down. <laughs> Every no. time they told her to be quiet or to step aside, she was like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, you yep. stop talking. You give me a job. <laughs> like, just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me a job. Yeah. Just commanded the room. She knew what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Just like, mm-hmm. I'm valuable. Shut up. Give me a job. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. do things. Mm-hmm. Let me do the things. And that's mm-hmm. such an incredible thing, too, because even in modern history, the military would just charge you and all this stuff. It's like proving that just because something happened and you're injured or, you know, you lost a leg or something, you're still capable of doing your job and doing it very well. Just mm-hmm. Imagine Absolutely. how many people would have been, you know, killed or not able to make it to safety without her. Just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh, they are both incredible women. I mm-hmm. am surprised. The people don't talk about them more. So are we ready for mine? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Let's do All right. it. So we're, we're going to go a little farther back in history. And last week, my guest Nick, Nicholas, he mentioned John D. He was a spy for Elizabeth I that signed his correspondence with 007, a la James oh. Bond. Oh. oh, okay. That's the way we're going. All right. Yeah. So I like a huge, it. Huge tutor. Tutor. Tutor nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and 
This just reminded me of this cool historical nugget that I knew, but I had forgotten. And then I just scrapped all my notes and I wrote new ones today so I could talk about this. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yep. So buckle up, y'all. We're about to talk about a spy ring, some murder, an actual witch hunt, and then a Shakespearean curse because this is eerie. Well, I've been cursed. If anyone has actually listened to our podcast, I am cursed. I was officially cursed at age 19. It was a whole thing. I took a picture of something I shouldn't have. It was a whole thing. Anyway. Was it a doll? No, it was actually a temple. But I was in a country where I did not understand the language. And by the time they told me that I should not have taken a picture of it, I had already had to take a picture of it. So I'm cursed. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it's been a rough ride. 10 out of 10. Do not recommend. No. Mm-mm. Yep. Well, I'm she down. was doing that. I was in France drinking with Frenchmen. It was wonderful. Ooh, that okay. sounds. Fun. Do not rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> she was getting cursed. I was getting drunk. Sounds about you right. Are, okay, we are distracting from this lovely woman's story. All right. So, I'm also side note. I'm pretty sure I'm the first weird person to ever make a connection between spies and this particular curse. So I'm really proud of myself. Am I reaching to make this segment eerie? Like, bitch, I might be, but I'm still <laughs> that I made this connection. So do it. Yes. Right. So we're going to start with a little historical Tudor detour. The Tudors may be one of the most famous royal families and remains really popular thanks to films and television and a badass Broadway play. Hello, Six the Musical. Mm-hmm. I need to see that in person. I have never seen oh. it. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I you have not to- seen it, but I have heard of it. I've heard the music. I listened to the music while writing most of this. <laughs> so nice. Nice. Very, very. I should have worn my, my Tudor shirt. It says, be, or no, died, beheaded. No, wait. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorce, beheaded, survived. That's the order. I know things. All right. And it's no wonder that they're so popular as a dynasty because it has some of England's most famous, fascinating, and hated monarchs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As interesting as their reputations were, their actions were pretty important as well. The Tudors ruled England while Western Europe was transitioning from the medieval era to the modern. They kind of shook up the government, oversaw drastic and turbulent changes in religion, and they also saw a golden age of art and exploration. So it was like a cultural renaissance, if you will. Okay. And I love Tudor houses. Oh, my God. Yes. I am obsessed with Heber Castle, Anne Boleyn's childhood home, where I got that shirt from. And (laughs) I want to go there so bad. And I was geeking out because I was asking, like, do you ship to the United States? And blah, blah, blah. And they like, answered. I'm like, Heber Castle answered me. I'm like, God damn it, Keena. I love the architecture. I just want to, like, hug buildings like that. And just the outside landscaping, the mazes, just everything about it. Is yeah, insane. everything was fantastic. Tudors were just super into art and architecture, and they just allowed for that to kind of blossom, which I think is pretty cool. Yep. The history of the Tudors can be traced back to the 13th century, but they didn't really rise to prominence until the 15th century with the crowning of Henry VII. And I'm going to save all those juicy details for another episode because that's a lot. War of the Roses, that's a lot. <laughs> yep. Can't, can't skim Ooh, over that. Quick an- anecdote about War of the Roses. Ooh, I live yeah, in... I I'm 
so sorry. I live in York and the town next to me is Lancaster. So we have the white rose and Lancaster has the red rose. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I thought you would like that. So anyways, you can go on. But that's all I needed to say. That was a (laughs) delightful little nugget. Yeah. So that's Pennsylvania, by the way, not Maryland. Oh, okay. All right, so next we have Henry VIII, a notorious womanizer turned smelly old guy with anger issues. He's mm. best known for his Same. six wives, including Anne Boleyn, my little rubber ducky. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Focus. Is she has got the necklace, the bee? I can't focus. Yes. Oh, yeah. too much. I love her. I got it. This was from my Hebrew Castle purchase. <laughs> Why do I need a rubber ducky? Because it's Anne Boleyn. Yeah, why not? Horribly misunderstood. I love her. Okay, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. he had his six wives, the split from the Catholic Church, and he did some other important stuff, like seeing that the Royal Navy emerged as a powerful force, placed more emphasis on Parliament from the occasional King Court to a central pillar of the English Constitution, encouraged mm-hmm, advancements mm-hmm. in medical professions. He was, like, super paranoid about health stuff, so he kind of funded Hashtag same. (laughs) And then he also kind of kicked off this cultural revolution of music, literature, and art. He was a patron of the arts, if you will. Oh, okay. So he wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, he sucks. Mm, Like, he still sucks. He did the bare minimum. We should not applaud him for doing the bare minimum. Yes. I do feel like we're connecting, though, because. (laughs) No, Karen. No, we're not. He took on the Catholic Church, and I feel like that is also my calling. Like, lots of people did that. He stole a piece of shit. Moving on. I feel, I feel my personal opinion, which is probably controversial, is that he's just selfish and wanted a divorce. And I think Anne Boleyn was that little voice in his head being like, you know, it'd be really cool. Protestantism. You know how you could do that? (laughs) Splitting from the church. I think she was the smart one being like, here, read this book. You know, look at these ideas. And he's like, hey, that's a really cool idea. And then he's like, I had that idea. It was awesome. And Mm. I think she was probably the mastermind. All right, so we're, oh, next up we got Edward the Sixth. I, I, Roman numerals always give me pause because I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, same. Uh, mm-hmm. I swear I'm smart, but numbers are hard, and Roman numerals no, are harder. <laughs> numbers are hard. So mm-hmm. he was the son Henry desperately wanted, but he died only six years later. And there's a lot of controversy, but the gist is he never let him be exposed to germs when he was a child because mm-hmm. he was so oh, scared. That he was going to die. And essentially, his immune system was shit. So he did not do so well. And Mm, he was actually super Protestant at the time. And his reign was dominated by two ruling counselors, Edward Seymour and then John Dudley later, who helped carry on the Protestant Reformation. Some say if he had lived, he probably would have taken it really far because he was really into Protestantism. So it's one of those big what ifs. Like, if he hadn't died, what would happen to England? But he was only six. Oh, no, six years after he became king, he died. So, oh, <laughs> Edward was only nine when he became king. So he was 15 when he died. So he didn't really have a chance oh to God. really do a whole lot. That's why he had, you know, his counsel. I mean, he was too young. Edward's one of those big what ifs. Nobody knows what would happen if he was actually given an opportunity to rule. Plus, you know, like Edward Seymour was his mom's brother. And the whole reason they even threw Jane at Henry was to get that power. So they really sunk their teeth into that whole opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then Edward dies super young. And then we have poor 
poor sweet lady Jane Grey. The epitome of tragedy. She was only 15 years old and she's thrown into succeeding Edward thanks to Dudley. And they want her to carry on this Protestant Reformation. Words are hard. Protestant Reformation. (laughs) (laughs) But she was only queen for nine days. Yikes. Yikes. How? Yeah, she got executed because... Oh, God. Eddie's half-sister, Mary, you might know her as Bloody Mary, was Catholic and was like, fuck this Protestant shit, I'm coming. (laughs) And she had a lot of supporters, and they ousted her really quick. Oh, my God. Nine days. Poor baby Jane. terrifying. Yeah, and she didn't want that. She didn't want that at all. She didn't know what was going on. She had to have been terrified. She was just thrown in because she had a tiny little claim to the throne, and they wanted to get her in there before Mary could get in. Because Mary was very, listen, Henry was an asshole. And he legitimized and delegitimized these poor kids so many times that it was just nobody knew who was actually got a claim. And then there's also a few other families kind of circling around being like, well, we technically have a claim from this line. It was a dangerous and bloody, bloody time. Good God. Enter Mary the first you know, our bloody Mary and the nickname alone to show you how all this went. <laughs> Not great. She did a very hard overcorrect to bring the country back to the Catholic faith. Isn't that kind of Catholicism though? You go against us and now we're going to come down hard. Yes. And I always try to think of it as like a pendulum. At this time mm-hmm. you had the super mm-hmm. over here Catholic, super over here Protestant, and it was just swinging back and forth. And the only person to want to bring it in the middle is going to be our girl here in a little bit that I'm going to get to. Elizabeth, I like her. Okay. Is it Elizabeth? It is. Okay. I, like her. I like her a lot. So, is it Elizabeth? Yes, it is. Yes. Is it history? Yes, it's history. I love this history, actually. I am, I am alarmed at how you are both the same person. <laughs> I know you're both my best friend at this point. It's kind of- <laughs> Absolutely. Remember this feeling of laughing because my next sentence is a lot of death. No, so- no. Let me. Uh, let me- I'm, I'm going to need some water for this. I'm in my zen. I finished my bottle of wine. I'm in my zen. <laughs> so Mary brings I'm back good. all the heresy laws and this led to over 300 executions of Protestants. Good God. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's where the whole Bloody Mary thing came from. Because she was just murking people out left and right. Fantastic. Mm. I say sarcastically. Great. So then we finally have Elizabeth I, who somehow manages to survive, despite being a major threat to Mary. And she was Protestant. So she had a lot against her. And there were so many opportunities Mary wanted to kill her. But didn't. And that's always been fascinating to me because she didn't really necessarily like her. She hated her mom. And then also Mary got a really shitty hand with the whole being Henry's kid. She was the first. Mm -hmm. And Catherine was such an incredible historical figure in her own right, being, you know, of Aragon and her parents. And then Henry just cast her away to just rot in a castle somewhere. So she's very Mm -hmm. bitter, very bitter. But then also... She was betrothed to these kings off and on, starting when she was a child, and she thought she was born for greatness, and then she also gets tossed out. A lot of that led to a lot of her anger, and I think a lot of the Catholic anger also came from her mother being so devout. I'm sure she kind of hated Elizabeth, but then again, Elizabeth was also cast out, so I think they could probably relate a little bit. 
like sisters, you know, they both were delegitimized for a long time. They were both sent away to be away from everybody. So I, I think in the end, she probably was like, all right, we can connect. I won't kill you. Kind of like the Dread Pirate Roberts and Princess Bride. Oh, was my likely, God. I love was that movie. And book. So Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry and my little Aunt Boleyn Ducky. Her mother was executed three years later. So she's only mm. three. It's kind of heartbreaking. Mm. And then yeah. right after, she was kind of banished from court and was declared an unwanted bastard, which can't be great for your formative years, I'm sure. Good God. And mm. while this was cold as hell, she actually kind of survived a shitty childhood by being excluded from the succession. And she was also kept a very safe distance from Henry because he kind of sucked. And this allowed kind her... Kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest understatement. She was fortunate to receive one of the greatest formal educations possible in that time period. She knew several languages. She studied literature and art. And she just, she was brilliant. And she was eventually restored to the family by Henry's sixth wife, Catherine Parr. So Catherine kind of tries to bring everybody back into the fold. And she brings in Mary, too. That's really sweet of her. Yeah, she was cool. And she was one that outlived him. So yay her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then Henry dies. And her brother becomes the Protestant king, which she Mm. actually supported. She's like, I'm all for it. I'm Protestant. You're Protestant. Whatever. I'll do what you say. Mary did not. And that kind of turned her into this hope for Catholics, kind of this idealized, as soon as we can get her in power, we'll be back. But everybody else was kind of noticing, hey, Elizabeth is on our side. Let's log that away for later in case something happens to Edward, you know, her support. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't Mm -hmm. actively out there trying to garner support like Mary was. She was just being awesome and people were just giving their support to her. But then, you know, something did happen to Eddie and uh, Mary took over. Like I said, poor, poor Lady Jane. We're going to just fast forward to the end of Mary's reign. Without an heir, she reluctantly decided to accept Elizabeth as her lawful successor. And that was a very sore subject, too. She had trouble conceiving. She had some hysterical pregnancies where she thought she was pregnant. It's most likely, we know now, a tumor or something. But it was a whole thing. And this was all after throwing her in the tower, the same place her mother was murdered. So Mm. it. that's fucked up she's got to have a lot more patience and forgiveness in her heart than i would because i think i'd be no i would never stop being bitter ever and as she became more ill they actually kind of reconciled and then mary died in 1558 at the age of 42 Hmm. so here's a little quote from historypress.com Quote, Elizabeth's ascension in 1558 was greeted with joyous acclaim by court and commoner alike. Shrewd and tenacious, she proved a longtime survivor, gaining the throne at 24 and reigning until her 70th year through times both troubled and triumphant. I almost said triumphant. <laughs> I'm like, that's the wrong. <laughs> it's like the longest reigning monarch in history. And then you get Victoria and then you have, you know, Queen Elizabeth II now. So what was the secret to her success? You know, it was a lot of things. She was intelligent. She was powerful. She's strategic and tolerant. But it also didn't hurt that she had a network of spies at her disposal. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We get to it now. Yes. So. I just remembered we were here to talk about spies. I know. I was afraid. I, I took a long time to get there. Wow. <laughs> You're fine. I'm on, like, my third glass of wine almost. So. <laughs> this God. is not you. This is me. 
Oh, this is great. I think it's been oh, a while since somebody's drank on this podcast. I am thrilled. Wait a second. You mean it's been a while. You basically are, wait, your whole tagline is like a boozy blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we were like, yeah, we got to get boozy. Oh, I know. And See, then you didn't drink. I know. I have. This is what's funny is people think I'm drunk every episode, but I haven't drank in six months. <laughs> I'm just always like this. <laughs> like, I normally drink. I just had a medical thing, a procedure. And- Sorry, go ahead. We're, right. we're terrible. <laughs> so as I mentioned, you know, before, Britain is divided by religion. And Elizabeth I comes in as a Protestant. And a lot of people are digging that. But the Catholics are like, hey, we've got this other Mary, Mary Queen of Scots. She can be the hope of Catholics. So Mm -hmm. they start plotting Mm -hmm. to put her on the throne because she has claim through an alternate line of succession. Catholics in England and the surrounding countries were essentially salivating at the chance to oust Elizabeth and, you know, get rid of this pesky Protestantism once and for all. There's a lot of fear and anxiety in the English court at this point. And obviously Elizabeth had to have been pretty wary of her safety and she took no chances so rather than leave her security to fate she became a national security effort that heralded a centuries-long tradition of british espionage the first significant covert operation was a kidnapping of a catholic named john story in 1570 he had fled to the low countries where he worked for the spanish and was plotting against old liz so sir william cecil or cecil or something one of elizabeth's (laughs) chief advisors it's definitely Cecil. It's Cecil. Cecil. Shut up. <laughs> no, it's Cecil. Okay, so no, it's Cecil County, Maryland. No, no, no. no but red-handed covered the Cecil Hotel, and they kept saying Cecil. And red-handed British. is British. They don't understand how. No, you- this is in Britain, Casey. <laughs> no, it's Cecil. <laughs> I think in America or Cecil, it's I Cecil. Think- Cecil, and I will accept nothing there. else. It is Cecil. Oh we are never going to be invited on the show again. Oh. It's Cecil. We fight way too much. We have been married way too long. Our relationship has spanned longer than any other relationship. Oh, that's true. Oh, other than my siblings. Yep. Well, I'm going to call him Sir William Cecil Cecil. One of Elizabeth's <laughs> chief advisors ordered them to kidnap him, bring him home for questioning. And the way they did it was amazing. Somebody is like, hey, dude. Can you search this boat for this thing? And he's like, hell yeah, I will. And then they just <laughs> trapped him on board and sailed away. <laughs> if it was me, it's like, hey, there's some wine in here. You want to go find it? I'd be like, yeah, I dude. would be kidnapped so easily. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, just literally anything. All right, I'm in. Let's go. There are puppies back here. Do you want to oh, see them? These are all really small and scattered operations until Sir Francis Walsingham burst up into the scene. He was a Protestant lawyer, and he had actually been exiled during Mary's reign, but he returned when the succession of Elizabeth happened, and he's ready to just slide right back into politics. His career as a politician, he found himself actively engaged in matters he felt strongly about, including support for the plight of Protestant Huguenots in France. And by most accounts, he was intelligent, ruthless, quick-witted, serious, and disciplined. The kind of guy you probably want in your corner if you're trying not to get murdered. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, good qualities. Sounds like a good guy. In these early political years, he attracted the attention of William Cecil Cecil, and they actually (laughs) change his name. He becomes Lord Burley after that, so we're going to just call him that. Yeah, because he just, Burley. I can't deal with the names. I gotta go. I think it's Burley. Like he's like Burley. Well, it's spelled B-U-R-G-H-L-E-Y, but I think it's still Burley. Oh, like Burley Manor, like the elementary school that's near us. Probably. 
Lord Burley saw potential in this guy. And Burley, by the way, had been gathering intelligence at this point to protect the queen. And I also think it's funny that Elizabeth didn't like Walsingham. He'd actually pissed her off during the proposed union of Francois, Duc d'Anjou. Nailed it. Duc d'Anjou. The guy from the movie. (laughs) So she didn't really like him, but she did appreciate his being competent. And that eventually led to respect, but she never did like him, which I think is funny because this uh, guy is all in and she's like, hey, all right. yeah, well, okay. I think that's fair, though. I mean, you know, sometimes you just want somebody competent to handle shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, when you're Elizabeth I and if somebody pisses you off, you do what you want. You don't have to ever like them. That's yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I appreciate that about her. Nope. First impression. Fuck that up. So. <laughs> In 1568, Walsingham became the Secretary of State and began overseeing intelligence gatherings. And he created different ways to... Oh, I just lost my thought process. No worries. You're fine. I mean, we've distracted you a million different times, so it's not your fault. ADHD. So he gathered operations designed to foil plots to overthrow the queen. And I'd like to emphasize that there are a lot of plots and they're escalating really quickly. And then there was this light bulb moment where he was like, okay, guys, hear me out. Let's create this massive spy network and we're going to go on Mission Impossible and all these fucks trying mm-hmm. to kill the queen. Uh- we're going to kill them first. <laughs> and that reference is going to slap in like 453 years. But <laughs> not right now because it doesn't exist yet. And they're all like, hell yeah, let's do this. Woo, spy shit. And I'm pretty sure that's historically accurate, word for word. But at that moment, they're like... <laughs> Massive historical quote. So at this point, dun. he assumes the position of spy master general. I want that position. Me too. I am way too loud for that, to be honest. No, I mean, oh, I couldn't yeah. handle it. I would be given it for five minutes and they'd be like, oh, this was a mistake. And they would move on. <laughs> I have made a mistake. This is a bad like, idea. They'd be like, you have to leave your house to spy on people. <laughs> and I feel like, well, I uh, spy on people in my neighborhood walks all the time. Mm, so uh, like, I'm not that interested in my neighbors. They're not that no. interesting. If you've opened your garage for longer than 15 minutes, I know your entire life. I will <laughs> I will I will go around the block. Go so he is spy master general and he has spies all over Europe and at home. And he also used merchants to gather intelligence because nobody really suspected them and they could move them around really easily. So he was very good at this. Hmm. And yeah. the spies had some spy tricks as well. They used secret inks as well as codes and ciphers, which I guess I Ooh. never really thought of it back in 15th century if I'm using you know, super secret spy codes, but here we are. The ciphers became particularly really important during the infamous Babington plot, which we will get to in a minute. Mm. So often letters of the alphabet were shuffled in a certain sequence. And once the key was worked out, they could figure out what the message said. They also had styles where letters could be substituted with numbers, symbols, signs, or the Zodiac. The spies had to learn not only how to decipher the code, but also how to write it themselves and then some codes could be understood by placing a sheet of paper with punched holes on top, and they could figure it out that way. So there's Ooh. different kinds. And then you have the secret inks, which is lemon juice, milk. A lot of those were red when you put it over a candle to warm the paper. You could see what it says. And a lot of times they would write normal stuff to kind of throw people off, like with normal ink. One time I made a cipher, but really it was just my regular handwriting, and somebody thought it was Casey's. 
Okay, so what had happened was Karen wrote some some sort of story in high school. It might have been inappropriate. Oh. I cannot confirm or deny. And she left it in our history class. And we basically had the same handwriting. And she was too oh. nervous to go back. So I went back and I got it <laughs> from the, the teacher's desk. And I was like, did you read it? And he was like, why would I read it? And I was like, I don't know why you would read it. And so I took the folder and I returned it back to Karen. And to this day, I'm pretty sure that teacher thinks that I wrote maybe a questionable Fiction. It's okay. It things. was a porno. You can say it was a porno. Oh my god, Karen. Karen, people are listening. Incredible. I was 16. How could you be I had to collected it for her. This is people are watching this. <laughs> I know. You can't delete this. Oh my god. Uh, it's fine. These people are our friends. This oh. is a legit judgment free zone. Not that bullshit yeah. like Planet Fitness. This is a real one. <laughs> Oh my god. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. it's fine. So our man is foiling plots left and right and he's moving up in the political world. He's now part of the Privy Council. So it's a really oh, high position. Fancy. In 1569, the Northern Uprising involved a number of Catholic nobles attempting to replace Elizabeth, Mary Queen of Scots, again. And the next year, he ends up going to France as an ambassador to try to work some shit out. And then he actually witnesses a massive massacre of Protestants, the Bartholomew's Day. No. Here. And this really just fucks him up because he's very devout Protestant. And he's really doubling down on this idea that Mary is the, you know, what do they call it? The person, number one. Uh, Chosen person. Yeah, chosen one, the the Slayer. I was trying to (laughs) think of the Harry Potter where they're like something number one. Oh, prefect. No, when he's on the wanted sign. I hard. I am recalling what you're talking about, but I cannot specify. Enemy. She's enemy number one. There we go. Okay, nemesis. Yes, and I think that really sealed the deal here. And he was going to fuck her shit up. So, major foreshadowing here. <laughs> Shortly after this, a, another plot was foiled. It was the Rodolfi plot. So, Robert Rodolfi was an international banker and had been gaining support in his plan to assassinate Elizabeth. But all those spies were like, not today. You're dead now. <laughs> Wait, so a banker was just like, I'm going to kill this lady? I'm going to yeah. kill this queen? Yeah. Yeah. How rude. Yes. So our little spy master general is starting to train a spy network and he's taking down all these conspirators. You have the Throckmorton plot in 1583 where a spy in a French embassy gave vital information about... Oh, come on, boys. Okay. Gave vital information about Mary Queen of Scots corresponding through embassy channels. Because at this point, everybody knew she was probably up to something, but they hadn't caught her in the act. Gotcha. Now he's zeroing in on what channels she's using so when they arrested this dude they found incriminating evidence like maps invasion plans and a list of catholic supporters so Mm. that was a good one eventually under torture he would sing like a canary and plan that they had for spanish and french troops to invade england and this led english diplomatic ties to spain to be severed and they Mm. expulsed 
that's not the word they <laughs> expelled <laughs> expelled <laughs> the Spanish ambassador. <laughs> now we're at the most famous plot to be foiled, and this is the one I mentioned earlier: the Babington plot. It was named after Anthony Babington, which I hope I'm saying that right. He was one of the chief conspirators who, along with his accomplice, the Jesuit John Ballard, wanted to assassinate Elizabeth I. It's kind of like a broken record here. Wait, a Jesuit wanted to assassinate the queen? Yes. Jesuits, man. Okay. So Walsingham crushed this <laughs> attempt using a double agent and a crypto analyst to uncover the plan and produce evidence that they critically needed to convict Mary. Which was a cousin mm-hmm. of Elizabeth. I don't know if I actually said they were cousins or not, but they were cousins. So I've watched Rain. So yeah. Oh, I liked Rain. Horribly oh. inaccurate, but very entertaining. God. So Mary was a prisoner by all accounts, and she was moved around for her safety a lot. But at this time, she was being held at Chartley Castle with her entourage. You know, so she was a prisoner. But yeah, she did have a bunch of ladies to like sew and read books and do whatever. So, so read books that sounds like a vacation to me yeah besides like all the threat of death it would probably be lovely but like any yeah. day now she could probably be murdered and she probably is like not great but i'm gonna mm. keep sewing my thing so, yeah walsington really had it out for mary as we've learned and he blames her for all the massacres he witnessed and all the death and all the plots for his queen So he was ready to take her down, and it took a long time. But in 1586, he finally discovered that she was corresponding with a group of Catholics led by young Anthony Babington, and he was ready to just nail him. So the first stage of his plan was to use a spy named Gifford to act as a double agent. Gifford persuaded the local brewer to encourage Mary to use him as a secret means of communicating with the outside world. In other words, he suggested that she hide her letters in beer barrels that were being sent out. Oh, Ooh, my goodness. Smart. It was there that Walsington was able to intercept and decode said letters. Mm. So mm. when they decrypted the letters to and from Mary, Queen of Scots, they had evidence that Mary was conspiring against the queen and was complicit in all the shady, murdery stuff happening. Pretty quickly, the conspirators were all hanged, drawn, and quartered. Good gracious. Elizabeth, keen to signal a warning against further plots, ordered that their executions be public and brutal. Yikes. That, okay. But she was very hesitant to sign Mary's death warrant. She was pretty certain that she was trying to kill her because I think she related to her on a level of they both been fighting their whole life to prove themselves. And I I don't think she wanted to kill her. But she also didn't want to be accused of regicide. Because that could cause more problems and make her a martyr, you know, that'd be just right. more problems down the road. So her trial was delayed a bit, but there was so much evidence she knew that she just couldn't keep on putting this off. And she was eventually sentenced to death on the 8th of February, 1587. And that was after Elizabeth signed her death warrant on the 1st. So Walsingham oversaw Mary's execution, which was brutal. I talk about it in the games part one episode because some people think she's Bloody Mary from the mirror thing. The guy mm-hmm. missed and basically yeah. knocked away like 15 okay. times. So that's what mm-hmm. I heard. So my understanding of history is that beheadings were never a clean cut. And there's only a couple instances where people had a clean cut, but they mm-hmm. always hired someone specifically yes. to be able to do the clean cut, mm-hmm. like a, you know, very sharp knife or, you know, a very skilled individual. Yeah. Most 
often when you got beheaded, it was like a blunt instrument and they just kept on hitting you in the neck. I believe the first hit was her shoulder because the guy was nervous and he missed. Um, yeah. From most accounts, she continued to pray to herself as she's being hacked to death. And it took mm-hmm. a long time. Like, Amber, oh my God. like my little duck. I just here, got up and left. She was probably you can't one get of up the and few. leave your beheading, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try. But no, that's so true. That's why, like, Anne, they hired a French swordsman to come. Yes. Why yeah. would it be so hard? I feel it's like, like same a thing. lot of it has to do with inexperienced people being you know, picked to be the executioner on top of them also having a disdain and hatred for the people that are tre- like, um, you know, treason, perhaps she would threaten to kill their queen. So I don't know if that particular thing, it was on purpose. I think it was just, it just sounded like he was nervous and missed and then started panicking because he kept missing. Yeah. Cause you know, like sometimes but, you, miss, you do something wrong at your job and then you're like, Oh shit. And then you just a uh, domino effect of fucking up afterwards it could have been that it could have been a lot of no i don't know how that is no i'm just kidding (laughs) so i psych myself out i have a ton of anxiety but i will say (laughs) that if i'm going to be taken out i prefer one swift cut walsingham actually burned her clothing and then encased her body in lead to ensure that nobody would seek parts of her to be relics because again they didn't want her to be a martyr they didn't want her to be a symbol of the catholic faith one her to be captured on an episode of, uh, of Encyclopedia Obscura. <laughs> they were like, too much. Too much. We don't want to deal with these women. So, you- so this was the most popular, not popular, but it's probably the most famous plot, but he unraveled so many. And his spy network would continue to play an important role for Elizabeth. Funny enough, she still didn't like him even at the end of this. He saved her life so many times and she's still like, I appreciate you. I still don't like you. I just love that. <laughs> Hell he, yeah. She is not um, obligated to like him. Exactly. She distrusted him because he was super Puritan almost. So devout. And she was a little wary of his manner, just how he acted, and was reluctant to always spend money. She was very frugal. That's why she did so well as a mm. queen. So she never really, Yeah, and she never really provided enough funding for his work. So he actually used a lot of his own money to fund these spy networks. And he gave so much of himself for her so i think it's just almost kind of sad like his own money his time everything he had to save her and she's still just like eh, thanks but go away (laughs) i mean sorry my dude you can't force emotions and that's his legacy he created the most advanced and efficient secret service of its time it was the only one of its time so his health starts to fail and in the spring of 1590 he passes away and he leaves behind his legacy as a spy master but since there was no actual structure in place when he left a lot of that kind of fizzled out the mm-hmm. Earl of Ex- e- Essex and Sir Robert Cecil Cecil both tried to take <laughs> her but they couldn't really decide how to do it and even when like one was doing well, a lot of people are falling through the cracks because they weren't communicating and they didn't have a structure in place like the other guy did. So it kind of fizzled away. But I would say the fact that the queen reigned for 44 years and died peacefully in her sleep says that this was a success. And yeah, I mean, you might've got a little rocky at the end, but I mean, the spy network did its thing and she survived a lot of attempts. Yeah, she sure did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I'm going to end this because I promised there was a curse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. I'm yes. welcome. I'm welcome to being cursed again. Maybe your curse can uncurse me. We'll okay. see. That's so, not how that works. No, it, that's how it works, Karen. Okay, <laughs> let me have this. 
Let me so have Mary, this. Mary Queen of Scots, who was taken down by the infamous spy ring. Well, she had a son named James. And James became King James the Sixth of Scotland as a baby. Or, oh, it's a shit's Creek. Baby. <laughs> I love shit's Creek. <laughs> And then he became King James I of England in 1603 when Elizabeth died because she had no children and she left the throne to him. And this is when the Tudor dynasty ends. So he went super hard on witches during his reign. And this included hunts, trials, and executions. It was a lot. (laughs) So the North Berwick trials of 1590 marks one of the first and largest witch hunts. Hunks. Hunts. (laughs) In Scottish history, and James played a significant role in this. So after he married Princess Anne of Denmark, they set sail for Scotland, where they were met with a series of storms that nearly put an end to their life and delayed their arrival. The ordeal was so traumatic that he suspected foul play, and he felt that the only reasonable explanation was witches. Mm -hmm. Every day when something bad happens to me, I'm like, witches. Yes. Did I spill? Did I spill my coffee? Witches. Yeah. Did I sneeze in my mask in the grocery store? Witches. <laughs> James has some serious beef with witches for some reason, and there's not really much of an explanation. Some people that claim that he had a vision that his mother was killed by witches, and it was demonic and stuff. But it just seems like he had a lot of rage. I mean, his life sucked. He. It had a lot of trauma, but it just seems like he was really lashing out at people and shocking. It was mostly women. Mm. but mm. And this is just a theme that just keeps on getting worse. But yes, the first thing was the, you know, the bad ocean. It, it was which is not the weather, but whatever, James, you... <laughs> Okay. In response, (laughs) he initiated a witch hunt that rapidly expanded as the accused made confessions and furthered allegation. But these confessions were under the duress of torture. And anybody will say anything to stop being tortured. Everybody knows that. You just, it doesn't work. So at least so many people were accused of witchcraft and most were sentenced to death. He would go on to pass laws. He brought back all the witch laws. And he even wrote a book about witchcraft called the Daemonology. That's how you say it. It's fine. This is all. I mean, makes sense to me. Yeah, totally logical. (laughs) And he continued to blame all the bad things in life on witches, including the death of his mother. He really doubled down. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Wow. His interest in witchcraft was well known throughout. The two kingdoms of Scotland and England, because he's doing both now, to the point that it is incredibly likely that this inspired William Shakespeare's witchy play in 1606. Okay, listen, while I was researching this, it said that saying the play's name will give you bad luck. And I have to Yes, well, I'm not Don't curse me. Yes, it is. I can't afford any bad luck, so I'm not going to say it. Well, I already have bad luck, so Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. See, here's the thing. It said, don't say it in a theater. But one of somebody's listening to the podcast in a theater because they work at a theater or something, and then then we're cursed. Mm -mm. I'm sorry. So, yeah, they cursed. The representations of witches in the play confirms descriptions that are found in James's book, The Demonology. And James claimed that the storms were witches. So Shakespeare's had witches brewing up storms. See some mm-hmm. animals there? Additionally, Shakespeare probably wrote the Scottish play as a short one because he knew James didn't have the patience to sit through one of his long performances. Mm-hmm. Who does? Who and like, <laughs> scholars will think Shakespeare 
had plays directly inspired by the different monarchs. So this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And Shakespeare supposedly researched the Weird Sisters in depth and their chants in the unmentionable classic have ingredients of finny snake, eye of newt, toe of frog, and they're supposedly real spells. And according to folklore, the bard's play was cursed from the beginning because a coven of witches were like, why are you putting our shit in your play? And they <laughs> were like, you're cursed. You're so, cursed. You're cursed. Mm. Don't be using real incantations. Don't mess with shit you don't understand, Shakespeare. You're mm-hmm. cursed. That's right. And I don't blame them at all. I think that that was a completely legitimate thing to do. (laughs) Legend has it that the first performance was a dumpster fire and the actor playing Lady Macbeth, you thought I was going to say that, but I will not, died (laughs) or became very ill. There's different accounts. And the the legend is that Shakespeare himself had to jump in and do the performance himself in front of James I. But like I said, it's a legend. There's no actual evidence. It's speculation at best. But there's been other rumors of misfortune all the way up until recent plays that the scenery falling, mysterious deaths, fires, injuries, accidents. There was a bomb threat in like the 70s or something. Yes. A lot of things. It's like a running joke with actors that this play will fuck you up. <laughs> so how does one not die in this play that shall not be named? According to the Royal Shakespeare Company, you must exit the theater, spin around three times, spit curse and then knock on the theater door to be allowed back in so question who doesn't do that when they leave the theater (laughs) because when i leave a theater i do exactly that i know right exactly i don't know this seems so natural (laughs) you don't spit around spit curse are you even living are you even living Side tension when you said hawk. There are some other things you could do. I think it was like reciting something of the play while doing something else, but you can Google that. But I just thought that was interesting that this was Mm -hmm. based off of Mary Queen Scots, who was killed by some spies. Uh, Amazing. That was really good. Super cool. Standing by it. I did not realize there was so much misfortune behind this play. But Macbeth, do you mean Macbeth? (laughs) Are we talking about the play? What? Thank you guys so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. I've had a blast. I am so excited to be the third sister now. Mm-hmm. Yes, welcome to the group. Yay! <laughs> so before we go, sh- tell everybody how to find your podcast. <laughs> so you can find us at eo the podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Encyclopedia Obscura. We also have a Twitter handle, so you can tweet us at eo the podcast. And if you would like free merch, we are giving away stickers to literally anyone. So just reach yeah, send you free merch. There, Karen is showing some free merch. I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but we we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. Please reach out on any of our social media accounts and please hype up Historical AF because Aww. this has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, much for having fun. us. On. We've oh, had a great so time. Thank oh, you. You're so welcome. This has been so much fun. I guess. So excited. so excited to finally happen. This got pushed back a lot. So I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, well, it <laughs> was did. life. It was life. And don't yeah. apologize for that. Thank you so much. This has been this has such been so a fun. fun. We appreciate you. And we can't wait to be back on the show if you will have us. So. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh. You have to come on ours. Yes. yes. We will figure out some sort of way 
to make that happen. So yes. yeah. thank my you people, everyone. And people will be in touch with your people. And by yes. And why, by that, we mean we'll just message each other because yes. we yes. know people. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I do nothing outside of like <laughs> and content. Thank you, Nikita, for everything. I appreciate all of this and you are amazing and well, take care. Have a good you. night. You too, yes. guys. I want to thank my guest, Encyclopedia Obscura, again for joining me. <laughs> I had such a great time. You guys were great guests, and this episode was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. If you'd like to watch all four hours of this episode, you guys, she was long. You can do that on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. Tiers range from $2 to $20, and each tier you get more and more goodies. Anything from mail to merch to extra episode, highly recommend 10 out of 10. Speaking of Patreon, I have some shout outs this week. Starting with Rachel A. I am so excited that you're the newest Fierce AF patron. I am so excited that you're part of the Patreon family and I can't wait to get to know you more. And you're another Louisiana girl and I, I love me some Louisiana. Plus... You made a year commitment because Patreon lets you do that now. You can sign up and pay for an entire year and get a discount. That's a commitment that I appreciate that you you signed up knowing that you're going to have a full year of me. So I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. And next, I want to welcome the newest Majestic AF patron, Nancy, to the family. Thank you so much, Nancy, for joining Patreon. I'm just so excited to get to know you more, and I'm just so happy that you've joined this wild band of weirdos. Your support means so much to me. Just by being a member of Patreon, you literally keep this podcast going. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you'd like to send a story for the extra AF episode, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. And you can send in family history, historical nuggets, town legends, just any kind of little nuggets you want to share. I want to hear them. Follow me on social media. That's historicalafpod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also follow me on the TikTok. That is at Keena Leanne for some historical nuggets, some nerd shit. If you'd like to check out the merch, which will be going on sale this week for 20% off, that's shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And there's going to be some merch giveaways coming up. So stay tuned on social media. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week for, <laughs> for Spies Part 3 with Weird Distractions Podcast. Okay, bye. Zeke says bye.